Welcome to Overthinking in Your Underwear. This is Lindsay. This February, we are going to do a little love series. So all February long, all of our episodes are going to be love related. So love, relationships, cheating, attachment styles, probably not like ooey gooey love because I'm just not that kind of person. More like overthinking love. Why do we cheat? What's our attachment style? How can we date better? Do we need do we need romantic love? That kind of overthinking. So tune in all month long for some like really good overthinking sessions on love and relationships. This week we are overthinking centering a relationship uh, as the central part of your life, kind of. That's like a little bit of the first part. And then some dating advice if you are out there in the wild world of dating. Ready? Let's overthink it. <laughs> All the single ladies, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, all my single ladies. Did you guys know I could sing? I bet you didn't. It's like <sighs> something I try to keep a secret because then everyone's going to like ask me to sing all the time. So I'm proudly solo, not looking, which is probably like the weirdest part I think people always want to have the conversation of like who are you dating well what apps are you on well how are you looking are you asking people to set you up and I'm like none of the above like d none of the above I do not care I'm just like happily single I'm happy in my life I'm not looking for anything like that is the answer I am not looking for anything and that's always like very shocking to to people and I recently read this meme online, which is, come on, how we all get our information these days. And it said something about how we should stop giving each other dating advice. And instead, we should be giving each other the advice to decentralize, I think the, it was specifically men from the center of your lives. If that's women for you or non-binary, whatever, um, from this from the center of your life because it's like such a focus and it's such a pull and it takes away from you. And I thought that was really interesting because I'm a Gen Xer, which I talk about a lot. I love like some people like don't get into all the like Gen Z, Gen X, boomers, whatever, millennials, but I like it because I really do think Unlike any of the other stuff, any of the, any of the other ways we kind of profile each other, I think the generations is one of the ways that is accurate. Obviously, you can be a millennial, not act like a millennial, all those things. But I think growing up in the time that you grow up in is one of the most accurate things that affects you. You know, you grow up with the technology you grow, you grow up with. You grow up with the parents you grow up with. Your parents raise you in a certain way. The technology affects you in a certain way. So our generations really are the most, I think, one of the most influential things upon us. So back to what I was saying about that meme, right? We'll get into our subject matter. Don't worry. It was saying decentralizing men, I'm just going to say men, from your life. Growing up as a Gen Xer, that was such a poignant thing to read because we really were raised like that. We were raised to find a partner 
And even if you are a Gen X man, you are raised to find a woman. And if you're a woman, find a man, partner up. And gosh, if you are our parents, that was even more pressing. And I've told this story before. My parents uh, have all these friends from college. All of their anniversaries are like May 15th, May 20th, May 25th, May 30th, May 31st. They all obviously just got married right out of college. Just, I mean, they couldn't even take a breath. They all got married exactly right out of college. As my mom says, from the sorority house, from her parents' house to the sorority house to her, to my dad's house. So like there was no breath in between. My mom's generation, obviously, I mean, the labels and the definitions were so tight. Gen X Obviously, we were, you know, loosening it up a little bit, but still, there was still that definition of a relationship is the center, the focal point of your life. What are you doing to get to that relationship? You know, who are you dating? Are you going to get married? And I remember, you know, in college, it was kind of like we're all looking around for who we're going to couple up with, who who's going to marry who. Lots of people, of course, got married right out of college. Some of those marriages didn't last. Some did. The that there was always the put the put the relationship at the center of your life, and there wasn't the question of well, well what do you, who are you, <laughs> what do you care, what do you care about? the The bigger question was about who are you going to partner up with, who are you going to create a family with, and I think even for young men, I'm sure it was like, well, who are you dating? Got anyone special? Like we are just raised in that culture. I know that, you know, having someone to spend your life with is important. I understand that. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's not that there's anything wrong with asking someone who they're dating. I'm just saying with like creating a larger impression, we need to put someone else at the center of their lot of your life when really you should be putting you at the center of your life. So when I saw that meme, um, again, you know, memes, whew, the news articles, the news, ar- the news articles of our time, that really uh, hit something for me. Back to the subject matter of the day. Sorry, that was a long little like overthinking preamble. So all that being said, we still do it. We still date. We still partner up. We still have relationships, which is great. And it's part of life and I know it. Um, but that's that's what I'm here to do. I'm still to, I'm here to overthink all the all the sides with you, all the stuff with you and make it a little more interesting. So I want to take you through the dating part of my book and the dating part of my overthinking with you. So when we are out there dating, we can do it a little bit better. It doesn't mean you can't have a partner in your life per the meme thought. It's just we don't want it to overtake our thought, take our lives, to overtake our identity. We don't want to make it so central that it overtakes everything else about us. So let's get into a little bit of that overthinking about dating from the book. This is the section, gosh, I don't know if it's section two or three, but it's called relationship business. We talk about overthinking your type and all kinds of different things. So I'm going to read a little bit of this because I really like this part. When you've been single since the 70s, you've been on every kind of date. Good dates, bad dates, big dates, little dates, sporty dates, lazy dates, crazy dates, hazy dates, dates you loved and some you didn't. 
dates who text the next day, and those who disappear, leaving you to assume they died in a monkey attack immediately following dinner. Through most of those dates, I wasn't what you'd call good at dating. I drank to find self-confidence and ordered another three. Drinking made me sloppy, superficial, and more lost than where I began the night. I wasn't looking for the right things or behaving in a way to attract a partner who would last. What was worst, I used dating as a barometer for my self-worth. I'd pull up a chair ready to take a full-scale evaluation from a complete stranger. Do you like me? Will you ask me out again? Is my nose too big or too small for my face? I'd been my ride or dye my hair for 30 years, yet here I was handing over my self-worth in one swipe to a person whose name I hardly knew. No ma'am, no more, no sirree Bob. Is that your name? I didn't catch it. Ugh, so that's dating with low self-worth, right? Putting up your self-worth for evaluation. And I did it for years, for years. It doesn't even matter how much you really like the guy. And then you're sitting there having this conversation with friends or with yourself. And you're like, I'm not even sure if I really like him or her. But they're rejecting me, so I'm liking them more. How many times have you put yourself in that situation? And it's really your self-worth talking, your low self-worth talking that's needing them to affirm you instead of going in with like full self-worth rocking. You are ready. You are full of self-worth. You know that whatever happens, you are fine. And you are going in there to see if you like them as much as they like you. I had this therapist in New York. I loved her. I talk about her all the time. And I would go in there and I would tell her about dates. And I would I would say things like, I think he really liked me. And I think he really um, thought I was funny. And I think he thinks I'm pretty. And I would say stuff like this. And she'd go, uh-huh. Did you like him? I feel like you're more worried about if he likes you rather than going in and evaluating if you even like him. And she was so right. She was so right. I was so sitting there making sure he thought I was good enough rather than me thinking if he was good enough for me. And I don't mean good enough, but thinking if he was right for me, which is how we should be a dating. So letting self-worth take the lead is a paradigm shift reserved for 90s movies with a mother-daughter body swap scenario. It's Freaky Friday, people. Here's what I noticed right away. Lean in because this is a good one. For the first time in my life, I'd go on dates self-worth a crankin'. Not cocky, not talking down to waiters and speaking about myself in third person, but I wasn't desperately sitting across the table hoping my dates on my value. I knew it was there. I knew I was worth dating and I hoped the other person who showed up had a compatible personality, chemistry, and Netflix queue. It wasn't more complicated than that, but this slight adjustment from do you like me to I'm curious if we liked each other threw guys off balance like a trash talking from Michael Jordan before game seven of the NBA finals. Blank stares, total confusion, rim balls. That sounded dirtier than I intended. I'm not saying every guy fell in love with me. Of course not. I'm not everyone's type, but it didn't matter. I was good whether they texted the next day or they died in that monkey attack immediately following dinner. I was only there to find someone who was compatible with me, and I didn't overthink it. The freedom that comes with this realization and this way of dating is freeing, and the reaction you'll get from the person sitting off across from the table is mind-blowing. There's nothing more terrifying than a person who needs no validation. 
I loved I love that quote. And I say it all the time. I really don't know who said it. If you know who said it originally, let me know. Dating with self-worth, how you get to self-worth, yes, harder. It's all the things I talk about in the book, all the things we work on in this podcast. But if you find yourself on dates in these situations where you're having that like, I'm letting him evaluate me. Do I even like him? Or am I really just more wrapped up in the rejection? Am I really more wrapped up in his evaluation of me? Like that's your self-worth talking. That's not you're trying to find a date talking. That's your self-worth talking. It's crying, okay? Working on your self-worth and blowing up your self-worth is everything I talk about in the first part of the book, everything we've talked about in this podcast. I am gonna go back and I think do like a whole okay, let's just talk about self-worth podcast because it's kind of dripped in here throughout. But I want to do just like, let's let's do a whole self-worth one. So we'll, we'll do that. We'll do a whole self-worth pod. Here is a mistake I've made in more cases than I can count in more with more unsuitable suitors than I know. Thinking he'll be an amazing partner one day. I can see a glimmer of a great guy if I close one eye and he's sitting in direct sunlight. We're not here to unearth potential like an overly enthusiastic kindergarten teacher on the first day of school. If that sweet, committed, thoughtful person isn't shining through with total clarity, it's not our job to bring them into focus. You're overthinking your way to pop in personal growth. Find a partner who's done the same. And then give them your undivided enthusiasm. So I know all of us have done this. We date someone for their potential instead of what's in front of us. You know, we go, I think they have the ability to be a great boyfriend. Or, you know, they're just really busy at work. I think they're really closed off, but they have the ability to open up. They're getting over their ex. Horrible, horrible one. I've said, I've, oh God, I have said that one. They're getting over their ex right now, but... <laughs> That one's really stupid. They're getting over their ex right now. Then they're going to be a great boyfriend. They're, they have a huge drinking problem and then they're going to be a great boyfriend. I mean, the lies we tell ourselves are insane. Insane. And I'm sorry, I'm using boyfriend because that is, I'm just, I'm literally thinking of examples from my own life. And if you're saying girlfriend in your head, if you're saying partner in your head, if you're saying they, them, I get that. I get that we all have different experiences. But I'm going to use boyfriend because I'm literally like thinking about my past to, to tell you guys stories. I was thinking about this last night, you guys, because I knew I was going to tell you this story. I knew I was going to talk to you about dating. This is kind of two twofold. I knew I was going to tell you this story and I saw this TikTok. Again, it's like the meme thing. Like this is the only way we get information these days. I saw this TikTok where these two girls, really funny, were doing this, the stupidest things we've like kind of... I can't even remember the, the succinct way they said it, but it was like the stupidest things we told ourselves to stay in relationships. And they were saying all these like kind of terrible things their exes did. And it brought up this thing I haven't thought of. I mean, this was this guy I dated like 20 years ago. I thought about this thing he did and I would go to his house and he wouldn't let me park in his driveway. And he would say, well, I'm going to leave really early in the morning. So let me move your car. And then he would move my car like sort of down the street. 
And I would kind of be like, well, what are you doing? And he'd he'd say, well, the neighbors are really weird about where you park. Okay, fine. If you do that one time, I'm like, okay, like I get that. And maybe you do have an early meeting. And so you don't want me to be blocking your, you don't, you want to be able to back out. That this is believe this is a believable thing to say one time. Then I'd come over the next time. I'd park in the driveway, and he'd be like, "Can I have your keys?" And I'd go, "What?" And he'd go, "Well, I'm having an early meeting." And he, the thing is, is he didn't really even have early meetings. Lots of times he would roll over and hit his alarm and go, "Oh, I'm not going." Obviously, he was lying, and he was the one that was getting over his ex. He didn't want me to park in the driveway because he didn't want his ex to drive. I don't know if she was driving by all the time. I don't know what she was doing, but he didn't want his ex to drive by and see my car in the driveway because I because he was still talking to his ex. I had not thought of that for forever, and I was like, the low, the low self-worth that was in the action of me accepting that is crazy. And it wasn't even that I told myself a story that I actually believed it. I didn't believe it. There was a lot of low self-worth and there was also a lot of not standing in your power because I think as women, we don't want to seem crazy. So I think we kind of bend over backwards to avoid being tagged or feeling crazy. So sometimes we accept the craziest things in consequence. And I remember the first time this this driveway story happened, I remember thinking, well, I don't want to sound crazy. I mean, I knew right away, right away, I was, you know, we're women, we have like that FBI, those FBI tendencies, like right away, I was like, you're not moving my car because you really want to be get, get out of the driveway, you're moving my car because of the ex-girlfriend. I mean, I mean, I had, I red stringed it all together, like immediately. I didn't want to jump down his throat and be like, this is because of your ex-girlfriend right away. So I just went, oh, okay, yeah, move the car. That's cool. Okay. And in my mind, I was like, well, if he does this again, we're going to have a talk. So he does it again. And then you kind of, I kind of say in my head, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt one more time. Maybe there's another early meeting. Maybe there's another, like I keep giving them these chances of maybe there's another reason because I, you don't want to come off crazy you know, and then in the end, you end up in the craziest situation you've ever found yourself in, because you've let so much of this craziness go on. So moving on through this, I don't know if we're going to, we might have to do a two parter, this is kind of long. The next part of this dating advice is people tell you who they are. So years ago, I went out with a guy and I thought he was really cute and nice and attractive. Attractive will always get ya. He said like right away, right away, he said, I have a bit of a temper. I went, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, that can't be right because he was sweet and nice. And I thought, well, that's a figure of speech, not a normal figure of speech, not a common figure of speech, like sweating buckets or I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. But I thought, surely this is an exaggeration, right? So I ignored my instincts and just led with my burning attraction for him. So I soon gathered that this temper was more like tantrums. So that's why I say when you're dating, listen loudly 
people tell you, I've never had a relationship longer than a month, or all of my exes hate me, or prison isn't as bad as it seems on HBO. You can lie to your friends, you can lie on social media, just don't lie to yourself about who's sitting across from you at Ruby Tuesdays. If you listen closely, people tell you exactly who they are. The one that I really like is all of my exes hate me, real dingers for me. There's some uh, saying that I love. It's like, you meet an asshole one day, they're an asshole, you meet an asshole every day, you're the asshole. And I love that phrase. I love that that saying. It's like, that's so true. Like everybody can encounter like problematic people one day, but if you come across a problematic person every day, you're probably the problem. Like Taylor says, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. As I said in January, I talk about drinking all the time. One of my other pieces of advice in the book, in the dating chapter, is schmooze without booze. If you are trying to date in a successful way, if you're trying to date in an unsuccessful way, drink it up. If you're trying to date in a successful way, if you're really like this year, I am trying to date more mindfully and think about how I date and make it a positive experience and how am I doing it right? How am I doing it wrong? My advice is schmooze without booze. So here's what I say is I once drank too much on a date and burst into tears for no plausible reason I can remember. I'm not even a crier. I get the waterworks going maybe once a year, maybe, maybe. I'm just not a crier. It's not that I don't harbor emotions. They just aren't expressed through my tear ducts. Yet there I was bawling on a futon of a guy I just met. He said, there, there, or maybe it was get out of here. I couldn't hear him over the sound of my wailing. I spent the next few months trying to prove to him I was a normal person who didn't go around crying on couches unprovoked. Eventually, I gave up, but I took with me a new spirit around drinking and dating. So most blogs and best friends will tell you to tone it down when it comes to drinking on first dates, and I totally agree. And that is one of the reasons why, the story I just told you. Also, you wake up the next morning thinking, did I have a great time with him or did I have a great time with four vodka tonics? Because I've gone out with four vodka tonics many times and they always crack me up. I've never gone out with him, so it could go either way. The whole crying on the futon thing, real story. The thing about that was I did like that guy. I felt like I ruined that day. Trust me, I did. There's no part where he actually came out of it. Like, no, it really wasn't as bad as you think it was. It was it was as bad as I think it was. And I did spend the next like few months trying to be like, look how normal I am. And there's really no way to like try to look so normal. Like there's just like, that, that's not an action. You can't do that. Like, obviously I drank less, but I, I tried to pull off looking really normal. And he was just kind of like, now you look even weirder. It just wasn't great. So it made everything more stressed. And I think I even like leaned into the relationship harder than I would have and like chased him around more and like put way more effort into a relationship that I don't know if I even would have because I was trying to overcorrect. And I talked about that in the in my January drinking episode too, is you make these mistakes, whether it's with friends or whomever, on a night out drinking, and then you spend 
the next week or however long trying to overcorrect for them. Like your life never gets in balance if you are drinking too much, if you have a drinking problem, if you are drinking too much, if you're drinking on dates, everything just gets clouded and confusing in an already kind of hazy and confusing situation. A first date, a first meeting is already confusing. You're trying to figure someone out. You're trying to read their cues. You're, you know nothing about their background, presumably. You're trying to like read their personality, see if there's chemistry. I mean, how many times have you gone on a first date and you're like, there was so much chemistry and really, you know what there was? There was so much alcohol. That's what there was. It reminds me of that. Seinfeld, sorry, I'm showing my age. There's this great scene in Seinfeld. One of them says, people, they're the worst. And Elaine says, how does anyone ever get together? And Jerry says, alcohol. It's kind of, it's like that. Then afterwards, you see them sober at some point. Sometimes you may not see them sober until two months in. I'm really showing my ass here. And then you go, oh, nope, actually no. For the first few outings, choose activities such as coffee or walking your dogs. Were it not frowned upon, I'd invite potential partners over for mundane housework. If regrouting my shower is a laugh riot, imagine the future we could have together. When you first meet someone, make it a dry run. Let them see the real you and get a clear-headed picture of the person who showed up on your date. So dating should be fun. It should be easy. It should be a scavenger hunt adventure to find a partner with the most things that you're looking for in your life that you want to add to your life to amplify the joy in your life. It shouldn't be something you weaponize against yourself if a date doesn't call the next day. It shouldn't be something you use against your self-worth. Don't let another person be the high and holy appraiser about how you look at your self-image. Enjoy dating. And if it's not working and you want to take a break, take a break. It's not something that you have to put at the center of your life. You are at the center of your life. You are the one that's creating your joy. Not a date, not another person. You are creating your life. Thank you so much for overthinking with me this week. Until next time, wishing you all good thoughts.